0: father as we kneel or as we bow our heads here before you this afternoon we've come lord already experiencing a blessing now lord we're asking as we open the bible that you would open our hearts that we would be available to be touched to be taught to be focused and i pray lord meet our needs and prepare us to meet the needs of others please send your spirit now bless us may we be encouraged through what you've done in the past and what you can do today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been listening to the news, you realize that there is a mental health crisis that's growing not only in America, but around the world, especially in Western societies. It appears that having more and having it often, being able to indulge and exercising license is not enough to keep someone happy. Happiness is very different The joy of heaven is very different from the temporary pleasure and fun that we can have. And while there's nothing wrong with pleasure or fun, this morning I want to talk with you about mental health and mental well-being. The crisis of the end will be a mental health crisis. The Bible tells us that men's hearts will be failing them for fear. And I'm here to tell you today that God has a solution to make us strong in an age of increasing mental uh, weakness. So this morning, I want to go on a journey with you. Listening to the radio this week, I was cued in to something that is an increasing problem. I'm holding in my hands here a facsimile of the Wall Street Journal from October of this year. It says the youth suicide rate increased 56% in a decade. 56%. Thousands and thousands of people who have decided that not going forward is the best way to go. There's a little town in Utah where they've had six people, young people, teenagers, commit suicide in the last year. And I'm looking at a picture here of a bridge across the river with some small mountains in the background from this city in Utah. And someone has scrawled on the oxidized, the rusted top metal piece, the guardrail of the bridge. It says, when there's nowhere to go, dot, 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 Stay! Exclamation point with a big heart. I don't know if some have jumped from this bridge to their death or not, but suicide is a terrible thing. Some of us have experienced it with a family member. It's a sad end to something that could have a brighter future. And this morning, this time of year, we recognize there is a certain heaviness that builds in. Short days, in some places, very, very uh, cloud-covered absence of the sun think bearing Springs we're not the only place this seasonal affective disorder affects a lot of people so how is it that God lays his hand on a mind and is the mind separate from the body we know the answer to the latter is nay but what are we going to do to strengthen the mind and the hope the heart the faith that give us the courage to go on Years ago, Dr. Philip Nelson told the story of a Chicago businessman who had decided that life wasn't worth living. And as he walked down to the Chicago waterfront, he was almost within sight of the icy cold waters of the river when he heard some crying from a street corner. He looked over and saw a little girl who was there near a light post, tears just streaming down her cheeks. She didn't know what to do. She had fled the home, cold, foodless, Sad, empty, almost. And she was there on this Chicago street corner wondering to herself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? A little girl's heart just breaking. And the businessman who was on the way to ending his own life heard the, the suffering sounds of this little girl and said, honey, what's wrong? She cried out her story to him. There was no coal for the furnace, there was no food in the cupboard. And mommy was sick, laying in bed with a fever, and she didn't know what to do. He took the little girl by her hand, walked over to the apartments, went up the stairs, entered the apartment, and sure enough, after opening all the doors on the cupboards, there was nothing. The frigidness of the apartment met him immediately, and yes, there laying in one of the rooms was a mother trying to fight off death. Well, the man thought to himself, I have to do something about this. He immediately got a hold of the grocer and filled the cupboards with food. He got a hold of the supplier of coal and built a fire in the wood furnace. And then he tended to the mother best he could. And when he walked away, he had in the back of his mind this sense of goodness about all that had just happened, and it had flowed through him. When he got back down to the street corner where the little girl was standing, he said to himself, "'Now where was I going?' There's something about this little story that illustrates the power of a life that moves the focus off the woe and the wheel of itself and on to a cause of alleviating the heartache of another human being. This morning, I want to look at the lives of three people in the scriptures who lived in some of the more depressing and discouraging dynamics of the human experience. Three people for whom Jesus related three different ways all receiving a touch upon the human mind. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. The first that I'd like to look at is a woman of ill repute who becomes the most notable woman not related to Jesus in all of the New Testament. Mark chapter 16, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a woman out of whom Jesus cast the demons seven times. The question that we should ask ourselves is, was this Seven at once, or was this seven different times? Ellen White commenting on this makes it very clear that it was seven distinct experiences when Jesus did this. Seven times, she writes, that Mary had these demons cast out. She heard his rebuke, Desire of Ages 568 says, of the demons that controlled her heart and mind. She had heard his strong cries to the Father in her behalf and she knew how offensive is sin to his unsullied purity and in his strength she had overcome. Mark chapter 16, interesting story. In Mark chapter 16, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun had risen. It was there at this tomb where they were asking themselves, who will roll away the stone? Skip over to verse 9, Mark 16, verse 9, He says, now after he had arisen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Mary Magdalene is the most prominent woman of the four Gospels who is not related to Jesus. She traveled with him taking care of the apostles' needs. Some call her the apostle to the apostles. She is the first to announce Jesus in his death and burial, at least with an acceptance and recognition with her ointing perfume. And she is the first to come to the tomb and see Jesus on the day of his resurrection. She has a special privilege that grows from a special devotion. Now, I'm not going to try to prove this point, although if you have confidence in the commentaries written by Ellen White, I can do it very easily. But this same Mary was the brother of Lazarus. She was also the woman at Simon's feast. She, I cannot prove this third point here, although I think it likely, based on the verbiage of some of these references, Speaking of Mary in Daughters of God, the author states that Jesus had pardoned her sins. In the Bible Echo, 19, 1893, paragraph 2, she speaks of one who pardoned Mary. And in Signs of the Times, August 20, 1902, she also mentions Jesus who pardoned Mary. Now, that word pardon is used in the singular. You could say it's an aggregate for her life. Or you can simply say it's a reference point to another story. It's my opinion, and I won't go to make it more than that, but I believe also this Mary is the same Mary of the first part of John chapter 8 who was caught in the sins that had ensnared her. This Mary was one for whom her sins had been many and grievous. Writing to youth instructor, July 12, 1900, paragraph 4, the author states, Many and grievous. Now, we know of the woman that was at Simon's house, that Simon, at least it's our understanding from the book Desire of Ages, that Simon had actually been the one to lead her into sin. The Bible's not explicit in this, and yet Simon is aware of her past. He says if he would know, speaking of Jesus who was touching her, he wouldn't be letting her. He's clearly not a prophet because of this. This very same Mary, who has the demons cast out of her seven times, is a woman whose past is very dark and very dirty. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the same kind of experience the devil would like to foist on every child in this room, inappropriately introduced to dynamics of life that are to be reserved for a mature, loving, committed relationship. The idea of one's sexuality preyed upon And brought to life prematurely is what we call molestation. And there's no doubt in my mind that this woman, whether or not she is the woman of John 8, but this woman, Mary Magdalene, found herself in a situation where she doubted herself worth and never could have the confidence to command the respect of men. Consequentially, she finds herself in a dark and dirty place. The good news is she meets Jesus. Jesus is introduced to Mary. He is troubled by the, the dirt and the darkness of her life, but not put off by it. Jesus is willing to allow the light of his life to intersect the darkness of her journey. And he sets her free. This woman is set free multiple times in the life of Christ. Her devotion to Jesus is unequaled in the Scriptures. She can see beyond the eyes of the 12 men who follow Jesus because selfish ambition has clouded their view of the future. But Mary is willing to accept the fact that Jesus' statement of self-sacrifice is indeed the journey that he's pursuing. This Mary Magdalene is a woman that becomes so close to Jesus that upon his resurrection from the dead, she is there looking for that moment to pay one type of honor and receiving another in which she can come back and announce to the apostles that he's alive. Of course, they don't believe her. It's important, friends, that you understand that in an age where mental health is a pathology or in an increasing form of pathological measurement, it's important for you to understand that the world is offering to this age now more than ever a freedom to indulge in immorality in a way very few other generations have ever had that, I almost use the word privilege, but at least opportunity. You see, there's something about the human built in the nature of God that's destined and designed for happiness, for innocence, for joy. And when we allow these experiences to crowd into our mind and to take over, especially issues of purity, we rob ourselves of the freedom to love, both giving and receiving. Jesus understood this. He gave Mary a chance to begin again, and then he did it again, and then he did it again. And along all of these ways, Mary had no misgivings about the fact that she was not a good woman, but she was becoming like Jesus, which was an amazing transformation because the love of Christ was flowing into her. Yes, Mary had had chapters in her life which were embarrassing and awkward and which nobody talked about, but Jesus had the ability to lay a healing hand upon Mary and the pure love of Jesus from which he wanted to extract no evil thing had a healing touch in her life. Mary Magdalene is the first of those that Jesus, or or I should say perhaps one of the most preeminent of those that Jesus lays a touch on the mind, the body, And the soul. Mary Magdalene is a woman that will find herself misunderstood by all but Jesus. When she brought her perfume to the feast at Simon's house on the last Sabbath that Jesus will be eating a meal before he dies, she hadn't thought about the fact that something that she was doing, which only meant good, could be twisted around in something bad. Jesus rebukes Judas and the others at the table who have called it a waste. Emma White writing describes that Mary had seen that Jesus was sad. You know, you don't really read about that. Mary saw that Jesus was sad. Jesus knew the full spectrum of our emotional journey. And His sadness was noted, and she sought to alleviate it. She hadn't thought about the fact that they were a group of poor traveling preachers, and the money could have been spent a little bit different. Judas thought about it, though, and said, what a waste. Jesus said, it's not a waste. Leave her alone. Mary Magdalene comes from a dark and dirty place, but she's walking in the light of Christ, and she's delivered. You see, friends, for some, for most, especially when the darkness comes within, the only deliverance is the presence of Jesus. It is the indwelling Christ that dispels the darkness. It is the love that cleanses and purifies the soul. Nothing else will do it. As a safeguard against evil, Ellen White will write in the book Education, the preoccupation of the mind with good is worth more than unnumbered barriers of law and discipline. And what preoccupation could be better than the great lover of your soul, Jesus? This is why the devil has put out so many distractions in this day and age, so many benign things which are designed to capture your heart's attention and keep you from Jesus. But Jesus loved Mary in a way that would not let go. And in the end, Mary is the one who sits listening to the words of Jesus. And while Martha would rebuke her, Jesus would rebuke Martha and tell her that Mary had sought the better things. You see, friends, Christ has the ability to make us clean, even though the world has made us dirty. And I want to encourage you today, yes, we should flee from the things, especially sexual sin. We should flee from those things. That's what the scriptures say. But when we've been tainted and touched, maybe without our own volition, there is still a wonderful healing touch from Jesus to set you free, to make you whole. No second-class citizenry, no doubt about one's worth. Those are all assured in the living name of Jesus, and in this case, the friendship and the personal closeness of Christ himself. The second person I want to talk about this morning can be found in the book of Luke. Turn back, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we have the story of two men. It's the story, actually Luke chapter 7, it's the story of two men Some Gospels only record one. Actually, we're going to do Luke 8 first, and we're going to go to John the Baptist. We'll do the others next. The disciples of John, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. The disciples of John reported to him, that is Jesus, about all of these things. They reported to John about Jesus. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind, verse 22. And he answered and he said to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear." and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the man who does not take offense at me. It's an interesting chapter of discouragement for one who had been so strong and so confident before. John the Baptist had stood up to the Pharisees. He had decried their hypocrisy. John was willing to stand alone for Jesus. He was willing to baptize Christ even though Christ had said even though he knew he, sh- he really should be baptized by Christ. Instead, John hears the words of God himself saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet John is not beyond, he's not immune to the ups and downs of our journey as human beings carrying doubt and dealing with depression and discouragement. John is languishing in that dungeon. He stood up to uh, the governor and said, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. But now he can't stand up. It doesn't appear very well to doubt and delay and discouragement. And so he gathers his disciples and he said, go ask Jesus, are you really the one? It's quite a U-turn from a man who said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It reveals the fact that John, like the disciples, had hopes of a messianic deliverance from more than sin. John was actually thinking, I won't be in here very long. And then the days ticked by and they turned into weeks, maybe months. We don't know. But John was in that valley of doubt and despair, maybe not complete despair. He hadn't given up all the way, but to go from saying, this is the one to, are you the one? Is quite a reversal. And as he's there without the accommodations of modern incarceration, which aren't that great, but they're better now than they were then, John is wondering Have I made a mistake? Did I hang my hopes? Did I put my hat on the wrong hook? And so he sends a messenger, a deputation to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't really answer the question right away. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't answer the question at all. Jesus simply sends back the evidence. You've watched you've seen. Make sure you report what you've seen, and make sure he knows that the poor have the gospel preached to him, preached to them. Make sure he understands. And then Jesus, as it were, sticks a not-so-subtle challenge to John. Now, this is an important component in regards to dealing with with discouragement and depression because the way you listen to a person has a lot to do with whether or not they get better or they get worse everybody should always listen listen long enough to understand listen long enough to care don't rush to answer the first question it may not be the most important question Don't look to be the great fixer or the great healer, but in the end, make sure that you don't leave the person to go round and round in a death spiral of doubt. Jesus sends back the words and he says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. It's not turning out the way you wanted. You thought you were going to have this career or this spouse or this wonderful trajectory with your occupation. It hasn't worked out that way. As a matter of fact, you never intended to be sick. You never intended to lose a loved one. You had this idea that somehow it was going to be a lot different. The truth of the matter is, is that for all of us, as we thought to what our future would look like, it usually is different than what we thought, but not quite as dark as the one that John's experiencing. John not only was exceptionally popular and powerful, but John was left to a journey that was equally as dark and hurtful You could say hard and heavy. Yes, as he's languishing there in the dungeon, John's thinking to himself, did I make a mistake? And Jesus sends back the evidence, not the answer. And with the evidence, he sends a challenge. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So it's not going the way you thought, John. It's not time to look at me as the problem, John. It's time to pray. It's time to rethink what your expectations were. It's time to surrender them to the truth. It's time to accept that there is a loving Heavenly Father. And yes, John, that inner peace that spoke to you, that sense of my presence, the confirmation of the Spirit, the inner witness of your actions when you baptized me, they were all true. Don't take offense at what's happening. When we're listening... To people, and they understand that we understand and they understand that we care. There is, in many situations, a moment in which they should understand that there is a call to a, a renewed faith, a renewed prayer life, a renewed sense of hope. That even though it's not turning out like you thought it would, or they thought it would, God is still in charge. This is probably one of the hardest things. Pastors are not immune. There are whole chapters of my life when I've, I've been left and I've thought to myself, Lord, where are you? Sometimes God's silence speaks louder than words. God is there in the quiet. And it is in that quiet that we have a chance. Actually, God is stretching and growing us. There is no immediate rush for deliverance. It is not abandonment. Nor is Jesus appearing at the palace of the governor to demand the release or sending angels like he would for, for Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail. No, John is left there and left with the presence and the assurance that what was in the beginning is still true even though it's not what he thought. And he was left there for all the myriad, hundreds and thousands that would follow in the name of Christ who would suffer... For Jesus, but they would suffer with the assurance that Christ cared for John, whom he called the greatest man who ever walked the planet. That Christ cared for John and John's journey of trusting Jesus could be a journey for us too when we suffer on behalf of the Savior. But some suffering seems to have no meaning. This is a different kind of suffering. And yet, this is not a suffering that Christ is immune to understanding. Yes, John the Baptist has a need for a touch, but it's a touch to remind him of the confidence of the previous experience he's had with God. It's a reminder that while God has not followed the plan that John thought, God is still leading and John can still trust. The third group I'd like to look at this morning is the journey of two, the demoniacs, two men whose lives are uniquely troubled by the darkness that this world can provide. Unfortunately, it is a darkness that is beyond our, hopefully, ever experiencing. Jesus was in an encounter in Luke chapter 8. If you look at verse 26... In Luke chapter 8, verse 26, he's about to encounter something that's more frightful than the water and the wind the night before, which had terrified the apostles. It says in Luke chapter 8, verse 26, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out, and he fell before him, and he said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not judge me. Do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound in chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons that entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man, and they entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported to the city And out into the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. And they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Sitting down at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them. How the man who was demon possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes. And the surrounding district. Asked him to leave. For they were gripped with fear. And they got into a boat. And they returned. So the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God had done for you. So and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what things Jesus had done for him. Now there's several clues to mental vitality in this passage that I don't want to pass by. Number one, nobody starts out planning to end up this dark. It's important for everybody to understand that temporary pleasure that forbidden pleasure, that temporary relief from the weightiness of life that the devil offers you and is always a little, little fun on the front side. That temporary pleasure will be followed up with a deeper sense of self-loathing. Martin Luther in his speech before the Diet of Worm said it's, it's neither safe nor prudent to go against conscience. Your conscience could be wrongly calibrated in which case go to the scriptures and let it be rightly calibrated. But if in your mind, there's something that's wrong to do and you do it, you're sinning against yourself until you've properly calibrated what right and wrong is. It's another reason why we should be in community with each other. Sometimes we run into people and they have to tell us something, something we don't like, but it puts us back on the path of life. This man had wounded his own conscience and started down a road that was going to leave him like no spectacle of humanity should ever be seen. He howls from the caves, he screams amongst the tombs, he roams in the desert, a fiend. He gets so bad that his body is is pockmarked with self inflicted wounds. Long before we talked about cutting, cutting was going on. He can't be still and he can't be quiet. He's been chained, but with demonic strength, he's broken the chains. Jesus said, when you clean your house out, but you don't fill it with him, the demons come back with their friends. How many times have the demons found this man, a willing participant to the darkness that would lead to the dirtiness, that would lead to the nakedness, that would lead to the absence of peace. That's where this person was. That's where the devil would like to take everybody. This man, these men, howling through the night, sleeping we don't know how often, or how little. Find themselves with a group of at least 13 walking up to them, but at their screams of intimidation, all but one run away. But there's Jesus left standing on the beach, and he doesn't run in the face of evil. Praise God. Jesus is standing there on the beach, and these men wild-eyed, demon-possessed. And by the way, friends, it is a reality. Don't watch it on TV to be entertained. Don't give the devil access to your heart. Demons can't take you over unless you give them permission. But I'll tell you what, to be intrigued with the dark side of power, the metaphysical, the supernatural, whatever you want to call it, the evil spirits is a terrible mistake. Don't find your, don't find your sessions of relief and renewal watching things that are dark and deadly. These men were there. And when you stare into the face of somebody who's captured by evil, it is a frightening experience. But Jesus speaks and directs peace to these men's life who could not even ask for help themselves. This is the glory of the power of Christ to redeem. But I want you to see what happens. Those demons are so bent on self-destruction. It's a wonder that these men are still alive. They're so bent on self-destruction that 2,000 swine can find themselves bobbing as bloated carcasses in the Sea of Galilee as a witness all around that lake for the deliverance that would come to these two men. They are dirty and filthy and living in a dark place, but when all the city comes back out they are clean and they are clothed. These things represent the natural progression of Christ when he enters the life. Now we've, we've lived through a lot of ages. We've lived through a lot of exposure to a lot of things, But you need to understand something. There's nothing new under the sun. And when Christ is looking to reinstitute order in the life of a mind, he orders the circumstances around the person with the ordering of the mind. What am I saying? It is hard to have a mind that's at rest when you're living in a place that's dirty and cluttered and disordered. This is the perfect time of year for you to stop and take inventory of your life and say, Is my room clean? Is my house clean? When we can read the book, Make Your Bed, by the retired commander of the Navy SEALs, the Special Forces, and he can stand at one of those Texas universities and write a book, Make Your Bed. Even the Marines know that making a bed is part of creating a sense of dignity and self-respect. The devil wants to take all of that from you. People who are struggling mentally often have disorder and disorganization and clutter all around them. While this won't suffice for a trip to see a counselor, if you need one, please go. There are many of us that are fighting battles, and we make them worse when we sit around and live by our feelings instead of acting on our circumstance. Instead of victim, become the one who takes charge of a place, even as simple as cleaning the kitchen, or your closet, or your garage, or your room, or your car, or whatever it might be. Take charge of your circumstances. Follow the plan of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say the man took a bath, but you can be sure he did. We don't know where the clothes came from, but you can be sure he had them. Along with the healing of his mind came the healing of the body and the circumstances around him. And when Jesus cleanses him inside, he, cleansed, he directs him to be cleansed on the outside as well. And the inner peace is met with the outer peace of order. This is not old traditional thinking, although it is old and traditional. It is living thinking. It is the power of bringing peace and order to circumstances around us, which is a harbinger or a forerunner of the peace that can come within. The mind is at rest when things are ordered. It might be your finances. It might be your relationships. All kinds of undone brokenness out there. Call the first person up God brings to mind and make it right. Go out of your way to reestablish the relationships that bring order. Chaos in the relational circle. Chaos in the financial circle. Chaos in the actual circumstances of one's physical presence of living. These all breed a burden on the mind that God never intended to be there. And when God does things, whether it's being resurrected from the dead or driving out darkness from the heart of this man... You can fold the grave and leave them behind if you're Jesus, or you can wash a person and put clean clothes on them as you clean up their mind. But cleanliness and order are part of the precursor, and they come with, if they're not prerequisites, to a healing of a mind and a soul. God is in the business of creating order out of disorder. And these men become, well, they become A1 prime spectacles of what God is willing to do. But probably more importantly than this but not separated from it, is the fact that these men, who are now no longer appreciated by all their countrymen, are asking Jesus if they can go with him. And Jesus says no. How can Jesus say this to the darkest spectacles of humanity that have ever walked the globe, at least recorded in biblical history, aside from Satan himself? You can't have thousands of demons in you and be demonically empowered. You talk about supernatural power. They had it ripping the chains from their very flesh and bones. You can't be that dark and not need to be next to the light unless there's a better solution than being next to the light. Jesus takes these men and he says, listen, you can't come with me, which means the solution Jesus is about to give them is going to be better than being in the boat. Jesus says, you go back and you tell everybody, What I've done for you. So there comes this cleansing power of being able, there comes this renewing of mind and energy, mental energy, in talking about Jesus. If they would have hung out with the apostles, they would have had a little bit of a chance to tell their story. But everywhere they went on the eastern shore of Galilee, they were telling what Jesus did for them. Now listen to me. We are so sophisticated, it's pathetic. If ever there's an age when we know what's in and what's not in, it's today. We are so media-saturated about what's acceptable amongst the modern value system, mores, whatever you want to say, of of the modern media age. We are so self-conscious about how we fit into society that many of us are being robbed of the vitality that would not only bless us but would bless others because and, and none of these are automatically bad, but our professionality, our expertise, our education, we don't want to be different. And it's hard for us to be simple, especially in an age when there's so much calumny or so much criticism, so much negativity focused on Christ and his church. We're living in an age where talking about Jesus is what people need the most. But it appears that the devil understands us and he's making it very difficult and hard for us to do. I can remember sitting on an airplane once in return from a mission trip and somebody else had met somebody that, that was on a return to Christ. They wanted me to talk to them. Well, there were probably a couple things wrong with that scenario. Number one, I'm a pastor, but it doesn't make me any closer to Jesus than anybody else, and anybody should be able to talk to the person. And number two, just because I am a pastor doesn't mean that any given moment, I'm the best person to talk to somebody about Jesus because I have my own ups and downs. But I can tell you this, After a series of seeking the Holy Spirit in our church and experiencing a measure of refreshing, there came a point in my experience where the naturally reserved me felt very free to talk about Christ and not be embarrassed or self-conscious about it. And it was a very important moment in my life because the ability to talk about Jesus is the elemental witnessing dynamic Of the gospel. Don't talk about God. God means lots of things to lots of different people. The song says, Let's talk about Jesus. But there are a thousand distractions, and sometimes my life is only a thinly veneered version of Christianity, and to go beyond the sound bites is to go into a discomfort zone. Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. Brand new baby Christian. From dark to light, pendulum swing. But this is what you can do. You can go talk about me to everyone you meet. There are many Christians who are drinking from polluted wells. Even listening to songs with Christian words that still have the spirit of the world in them. I want to tell you, there's a lot that this world is offering that is corrupted, and there's a lot that the church, the collective Protestant church is offering, that is corrupted, especially in its music offerings. And while you may identify with the feelings in the song, they do not have the sweet gospel simplicity of the songs that can freely speak about Jesus. Go back to your hymn book, Go to some of these songs that have lasted for generations and some for millennia. May the freedom to talk about Jesus be the free-flowing water of life that drives back the darkness and the dirt. And by the way, friends, the loathsome things that these men were involved in would not be fit to discuss if we knew all of their dirty details but the fact of the matter is usually associated with these kind of uh, demon possession is all kinds of moral impurity how do you get rid of that <laughs> it's not like you can just pull the vein pull the needle out of the vein it's not like you can just throw the white powder away it's not like you can burn the book The problem is a lot of these things that have been almost tattooed, almost branded onto our minds, they're not going away without going closer to Jesus and without letting his love flow more freely and expression deepens impression, So this this journey to freedom is going to be a journey to knowing Jesus and being free to live different, talk different, entertain different, eat different, dress different, We're so worried today about being legalist. We make ourselves the liberated ones. We're not legalist. When Jesus liberated that woman that was caught in adultery, when everybody had left except her, he looked at her and he said, Where are the ones that condemn you? Are there anyone? Is there anyone? Neither do I condemn you. And then he made this interesting statement. He said, go and sin no more. You were made to be obedient to the laws of life. When in the name of legalism, you go against what your parents have taught you, you're going against the laws of life. When you say to yourself, I'm not bound by all that old-fashioned stuff, That's right. You're going to be bound by something else. Eventually, chains you can't even break. You'll be beholden with the cords of your own bad habits. We call that addiction. The Bible calls it besetting sin. You're right. You're not bound by any of that stuff. Just get ready to be bound by something else. I was thinking the other day about love. You know, when two people choose to not follow God's path... They skip over that beautiful phase of falling in love, which is really just about getting to know the other person. All of these things are set up by the devil as substitutes for the liberty and the life-giving path of Christ. Yes, these men were told, you go tell the story. And in the telling of the story, not only would they become stronger, not only would they become would they live in the cleansing flow of Christ? But others who needed to hear the story straight from the horse's mouth would hear it. And we're not going to know until we get to heaven how many people will be in heaven because they heard you can't get any worse than we are, but Jesus can save even us, which means he can save even you. Seven demons out of Mary Magdalene, thousands out of these. Friends, there's nothing in your life Jesus can't cleanse. The question is, will you give him permission? Will the healing touch of Christ be not only on mind and body and soul, but may it be on relationships with a wholehearted blessing as well? Stories told of a woman back in the day when we had the Dorcas Society. She knew of a family down the road that had five children. I don't know if she was praying or what she was doing, but the Holy Spirit spoke spoke to her and she said, you go see that woman with five children. She walked down the street, knocked on the door, nobody answered. She turned away and made it to the sidewalk before the Lord said to her, not verbally, but at least impressed upon her, no, there's people in there, you go back and knock again. She went back, she knocked on the door. This time the woman came to the door and you could see that she had been crying. The Dorcas lady said to her, Sister, something's wrong. The woman invited her in. Sitting there in the front room, all the furniture had been sold. Sitting there in the front room in a circle were her five children. I don't know how many bottles of Coke were there, but this was going to be their last meal, Coke and white bread. And it was in an age in which you could still purchase things that were not purchasable today. In this case, the lady had purchased, I don't know how, but she had purchased some poison and she had dropped some into every bottle of Coke. So they had partaken of their bread and they were getting ready to drink their Coke when the door was wrapped on. The mother said, wait, don't drink. She didn't know that the woman on the porch had turned around to leave, and God said, wait, don't leave. The lady turned around, came back, and knocked on the door, and that's when the mother showed up The Dorcas lady said, there is a God. He loves you. The woman said, I don't know if there is a God. And the Dorcas lady said, you are now part of my family. She explained to her the story. And the next Sabbath in Sabbath school, there were six people. You see, the woman's husband had left. She had sold everything she could sell. There was no future in her mind. But God had put love on the heart of another, enough love to reach out and to care. And God had won the heart through the spiritual sensitivity of a godly woman who followed her spiritual directives her spiritual instincts and persisted in caring how many people out there today are beyond the reach of hope because there is no christian christian in their life how many people are we are walking through these quiet solitary Journeys of, of a, a slow rolling depression. It's no wonder that we have such an epidemic of, of depression and discouragement. It's no wonder a 56% increase in suicide. More money, less meaning. That's where society is right now. But, friends, I want to tell you today from Mary Magdalene to John the Baptist to the two demoniacs, Jesus has the power. To heal. It is sometimes strength to keep going. It is sometimes deliverance from fear. And by the way, I want to say something about fear. You're in the worst religion you can be in if you're a fear-motivated person. Seventh-day Adventism is the worst religion you could be in, Christian religion, if fear is what's directing your life. Because you know with certainty that the worst chapters of planet Earth are still in front of us. Mercy is right. If there's a religion to be in that's true, that lifts up Jesus, it's this one. But if you keep Jesus at an arm's length even while you come to church, but fear is what's driving you, I want to tell you, the two forces of love and fear are coming down to a collision at the very end. One will be motivated by the ability to buy and sell and then eventually to live. And one will be motivated only by the fact that you know you have a dear loving Savior who's delivered you from from a life of meaninglessness. He's forgiven your sins and He's given you hope. Love and fear are going to come into collision with each other. And these two things are going to find themselves in a showdown. The devil is going to use the lever of fear to pry your fingers off everything you've ever said was important. Everything you've ever said that mattered. There will be only one thing that will suffice to give you the strength to keep going in an age of what caused people's hearts to fail them for fear. And that will be a living knowledge that Jesus Christ is the author of your destiny as well as the cleanser of your past and the one who lives present in your heart. You see, friends, it's a terrible day to be living a lukewarm Laodicean experience. There's something greatly incoherent about it. What God is calling us to is God is calling us into a love relationship that will allow us to stand separate from the world and not be embarrassed, that will allow us to know who we really are and not be ashamed. And when the world looks upon us with disdain, when it despises us, when the world thinks of us as the problem, we're going to have Jesus as the ultimate assurance of the solution. But it's so absolutely important that fear is not allowed to run our lives. You are loved like you've never been loved Loved in the heart, loved in the mind, loved in the hands, loved in the side, loved in the thorn-crowned brow of Jesus. Nobody has ever loved you like Jesus. But don't let fear run your life. You can't save enough money. You can't have enough food. There aren't enough bullets. There's not enough protective wear. Your life is either hid in Christ and your days are numbered before they were ever experienced by you. He's hemmed you in before and about or He hasn't. But you can't live by fear. You cannot allow the things that are in the back of your mind that are unresolved. Put them in the heart of Jesus. Tell him, I'm afraid. You won't be the first and you won't be the last. But what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Fear is driving the love out of some people's hearts. They don't understand the provision of Christ for salvation, they think they've got to do something to earn it. They don't understand it's a gift. They don't understand that it's the love of Christ for the gift that actually opens up a cycle of motivation that's different. This, friends, this kind of fear will rob you from the blessed relief of the presence of Jesus. Where are we? We are at an age in which we will see the continual snowballing of the challenges to mental health. But whether we found ourselves in the wrong situation with nothing that has anything to do with us or decisions we've made ourselves, Jesus is strong to save. And there is no greater healing or none that there is no greater healing than that of healing of heart and mind, the untouchable. So what's in the future? I don't know. But I know this. Jesus holds the future. Years ago, there was a young woman who was an aspiring artist. And she went to an art show. She had all her paintings out. She didn't know, but the author, or I should say, the artist who was her hero, was to be at that very show. And wouldn't you know it, she had all of her paintings out there, and along came this person of great regard. The established artist was looking over all the artwork. And then she wandered up to the aspiring artist, and she said, which one is your best? And with quite a plucky little response, she looked into the eyes of one of her heroes, or heroines, and she said, I haven't painted my best yet. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what burden you came in here carrying. I don't know what motivations lurk in the back of your mind, but I do know this God can take you from the dark and the dirty into the posture of light and liberty with deliverance. There are human hearts that should listen and care, there are situations where professional help should be engaged. But along with it, make sure that on this journey, We know that nobody understands like Jesus. On this journey, make sure we understand that on our knees and in His presence, even when we can't talk, He discerns the struggles of the heart. Make sure that on this journey, we realize that every human emotion on the spectrum of the human experience has been felt by Christ with an intensity that we do not understand and that there is absolute comfort and assurance that comes from the hands that were wounded and the heart that was broken for me and you you see friends nobody is immune from the ups and downs and some things are cycles that are built into your life from things you had no power over and some are long-term journeys and some are dragons you're going to fight all your life don't stop fighting it's a battle in a march Put a song on your lips and a song in your heart. Don't be afraid to talk to and about Jesus. And the happiest, best days are yet in front of you. And one more thing before I stop. When Abraham Lincoln was a boy, he had a cousin, a man by the name of Hanks, that was there when his mother was dying. And she pulled Abe over closer to her, and ran her fingers and tousled his thick black hair. And he said, basically, Abe, grow up to be a good boy, good man. And then she said, Abe, you're going to need to look for the laughter. Keep keep close. Be on the lookout, and it's going to be hard to find sometimes. Can you imagine being eight, nine years old, whatever he was when he died? Sometimes Lincoln had to create it. Why am I bringing this up? Because there are some people who think that laughing and laughter is wrong. Mind you, don't watch the television to get your laughs. Those laughs probably are wrong. They're laughing at things that aren't funny. But there is so much in life that's actually good that God put in that calls forth a response of joy. Solomon write, there's a time to mourn and there is a time to laugh. Laughter, as the editor of the Trans World Airlines would once write, is the lubrication of life. It's God's, as uh, my wife's grandmother had above her, her sink, laughter is the hand of God on the shoulder of a troubled world. It's okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes you'd have to cry if you didn't laugh. Friends, be in communion with God. Be in communion with each other. Take the courage that only God could give. And make sure that his deliverance is for the low moments, the hard moments, the heavy moments. And may Christ be in this age a ray of light through you for deliverance to a world where the world is ever darkening, becoming more polluted. And may we indeed be the hand and the touch of Christ in a world that needs to know they can talk to, talk with, and find hope in Jesus. Father. Save us from the formal religion that would keep Jesus as an idea. And God as a topic for theological conversation, but not the personal friendship and the delivery and the deliverance that we need. I'm praying, Lord, for all that have gathered here this morning and for those that are watching online or will watch online. May we pass, Lord, from rules into relationship. May we go past the relationships given to us by our our spiritual caregivers, our parents, our teachers, may we press into the inner sanctum of the discovery of a God who is still strong to save. I'm praying, Lord, save us from the deepening darkness that's around us in this world with a simple childlike faith, one that can live out a beautiful, loving, but convicted life of truth and do it in a gracious and kind way, but not be embarrassed, not be afraid, knowing that we will suffer for our friendship with Jesus, sometimes ostracized, sometimes marginalized, sometimes rejected. But Lord, the darkness is becoming so intense and the press so powerful that nothing else will work. And we don't want to be conformed to the image of this world. So now, Lord, I pray, if someone came heavy, may they leave with hope. If someone came joyful, may they share it with someone who needs hope. And I'm just praying, Lord, across the full spectrum of your ability to save, take away our fear, our bitterness. Take away the things, Lord, that would rob us. And may we be children of light, walking in deliverance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio